Hello, listener. Welcome to episode 203 of the Wiggly Podcast. And yet again, Heather is unavailable. She's not with us, and I think there's a good reason for that. What say you, Farmer Phil? I reckon that she was so impressed with our performances last week that we've actually overawed her. She feels threatened. Yeah. And she's run away for another week. So she's got, so it's a bit of a sulky thing, really. I mean, well, it's, it a, it's a, a test know. to see. No, you she know. was obviously well impressed. <laughs> she couldn't have failed to be. Either way, she's uh, she's not here again. So uh, so it should be another cracking episode of the <laughs> podcast. Um, where, nonetheless, though, we have got a few things that we've been left to uh, to talk about. Well, you've been off playing with earthworms or something, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. That was, in fact, I've, I've talked about that, uh, the, the last couple of talks I've given, because it was, it was, <laughs> it was really funny. And, and I won't go into too much detail, because I've done a, a, a recording. I, did, I recorded through the whole, the whole process. But uh, in brief, the Natural History Museum have launched uh, an earthworm society. Um, and it's off the back of what their, their open-air laboratory study project to look at earthworms and to encourage volunteers to identify how many earthworms they've got in their own garden. But they were organising a worm-charming event to launch the, uh, the Earthworm Society. And so I was tasked to potter off down to London and uh, get down there in, into Hyde Park to enjoy a little bit of worm charming. But well, as long as you spent your time <laughs> charming worms rather than the, the film crew. Uh, nice uh, film crew and so on, then that will be a good thing. Ricardo. Well, there was a bit of charming film crew opportunity because the BBC were filming a series on the Natural History Museum and as part of that series they wanted to film this event because, you know, obviously it has some entertainment value. <laughs> so that, that was good. So there, there will be an interview and we'll, we'll keep the listener informed as to when that, uh, when that series is going out. Uh, and especially when the episode in question will be featuring. I thought, right, this is going to make a great podcast feature. So I had my little iPod recording, recording, and people were talking. I was rattling away into this iPod. And the, the guy who was, who was responsible for announcing the people that were organising the different types of worm charming, i.e., you know, the, the grunting and the playing music to the turf and the rattling the forks and the stamping, introduced the various people that could illustrate how to perform these tasks to this audience that had appeared, many of which were kind of passers-by, you know, tourists to yeah. London. And uh, <clears throat> unbeknown to me, I mean, he'd come back to me and said, oh, what was your name? And I, and I, you know, I just said, Richard. And I, and I thought nothing more of it. I thought I just, you know, wanted to, wanted to chat. <laughs> but um, he, uh, he introduced me as, uh, as Richard, who is now going to explain about the worm charming stamping method oh I thought I think he means me doesn't he I'm talking to a recorder I'll listen to have the, have the benefit of this just now but um, so I had to wander my way into this into this uh, melee of people and, uh, and suddenly sort of uh, stamped my feet up and down and I said the best way to charm worms is to make like a bird and so I bit a battery with my it's <laughs> so ridiculous in all your life. Uh, but anyway, uh, here it is. Let's listen to a bit of worm charming from Hyde Park. Okay, I've ambled my way down to Hyde Park, and originally Wigglies were contacted by Emma Sherlock, 
I do believe. Is that right? It is indeed. I'm afraid it was me that dragged you down here today. <laughs> what, 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 what made you think about this as an auspicious event? Well, we needed an event to launch the Earthworm Society of Britain, and we thought, why not have a worm charming? Myself and uh, Lucy went to a worm charming up near Crewe earlier on in the year, and it's fantastic fun. Right. Everyone comes out, families. Okay, so, you've got, so you've got previous experience out. of worm charming. Then. I have, this although... Isn't, this isn't just a, a one-off for you, you know. No, right. I unfortunately okay. thought I'd done really well getting 50 worms in my half an hour of fork twanging until I found out that uh, someone had actually broken the world record that day with about 560. Really? So, 561 yeah. in, in an area of two square metres? Yes. Or something. Good Lord, that's pretty impressive. It looks like good ground, though. I mean, I'm, ex- I'm expecting big things today from, uh, from those, because, you know, it's kind of wet and it's, it's warm. It's perfect for wo- earthworm activity, you know. I'm sure they'll they'll be busting a gut to get to the top. Yeah, I'm hoping we're going to get some bumper crops today, and I'm hoping, as we're going to do this in a bit of a scientific manner, hope, hopefully we're going to actually be able to finally find out, find out which is the best method. So whether it's going to be the fork twanging, the ground, Hunting, the stamping, or the musical alternative. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, 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 uh, I'll record the processes as we go through it. But just, uh, just for the listeners' benefit, you know, the, the Earthworm Society. What's, uh, what's brought about the, the creation of the Earthworm Society? What are you hoping to achieve from it? Right. Well, we still really don't know that much about earthworms around the UK. We're starting to put together the first distribution maps, but they're really, really sketchy. And these. And this are... is, so when you say we, this is um, the Natural History yes, Museum's right. Opal project. Yes. Yeah. Yes, um, that was the kind of start off and Opal's been fantastic for getting this, you know, round the whole UK, but they're to the sort of the first, the most common, 13 most common species, whereas we as well want to broaden this and actually take what the massive amounts of information we've got from Opal, but then take it forward and actually have people recording all 26 of the species and maybe have sort of designated recording schemes as well and just really highlighting and promoting the uh, the humble earthworm. It's about time. Okay, yeah, I think you're probably right. I spend a reasonable amount of my time talking about earthworms and specifically composting worms, and they are fabulous creatures. And I'm always completely enamoured when I'm when I'm talking about them, you know. And, and I mean, there, are, there are various people that are tucked away in, in little closets across the UK that are particularly keen to talk about earthworms, never really get the opportunity to do it. But I mean, how did you get drawn into it? It was by chance, really. I started working at the Natural History Museum, and uh, then a job came up which encompassed all worms groups and I just fell in love with earthworms they were trying to direct me down the marine side but nope I think sometimes you, you just <laughs> fall in love with an animal group. It's inside, right? an unusual one, maybe, but yeah, yeah, I think well, they're fantastic. Sure. Good. OK, well, I'm looking forward to today, so um, you know, here's hoping that all goes well. Yeah, and good luck with the stamping. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the launch of the Earthworm Society of Britain. Thank you very much for coming down. So I'd like to hand you over to our MC for the day. Dr. David Jones. Oh, thank you very much. Good morning. Thank you very much for coming. Oh, so here we go then. This is um, the beginning of an interesting episode. This is the launch of the Earthworm Society of Britain, and we just want to know where everybody's from. So hands up if you're from London. Not you. Okay. Oh, a few hands. Where are you from? Where's that then? Uh, Daddy, where's that from? Hampshire. Hampshire. Anybody further from Hampshire? Uh, beyond Hampshire? Yes, where? Australia. Australia! Can't beat that. Brilliant, thank you. Carrying the word and uh, we'll give you free membership for that, sir. Oh, excellent. Um, what 
you're probably thinking is why an earthworm society? In fact, I can hear you all asking, why an earthworm society? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, and it's because earthworms are important. Earthworms are very important for the soil. They perform a critical role because they eat dead plant material and they help to recycle all of those nutrients. They get released back into the soil so that those nutrients can then be absorbed by uh, the roots of plants to help more plants, to help those plants grow and to keep the soil fertile. And we all depend on healthy soils, uh, not just for agricultural purposes, but healthy soils provide vital ecosystem services such as clean water supplies. And so we're launching this society for three purposes. First of all, one of our main objectives is educational. We want to introduce earthworms to the general public and to make the public appreciate just how important earthworms are. So we have an educational outreach role and we will be uh, trying to uh, create a high profile for the society and its work. Secondly, uh, we will be performing our own research on earthworms. So we want to answer questions like which species of earthworm are found where in the country and why? Because some earthworms appear to be restricted to particular habitat types or particular parts of the country and we want to understand their ecology so that we can map the distributions of those earthworms across the country and understand why they occur where they do. And thirdly, uh, we are going to be performing training. Our members will be trained in how to sample earthworms so that they can help us with our research and also how to identify earthworms. So members will go out, collect their own earthworms and then identify them. How exciting is that? <laughs> there has been some mapping of earthworms in Britain, but the number of samples which have been recorded is relatively small, so the number of dots on the map is actually tiny. So we don't have a clear picture of which earthworms live where. So what's going to happen today? We're about to have the worm charming event. And I have to say, you all look very charming, so I expect <laughs> you all to lure lots of worms out of the ground. And after that, if you want to stay, uh, we can actually show you how to identify the worms you've collected because we've got a field guide here. So if anybody wants to learn how to identify their worms, please stay on afterwards. And now I'm going to hand you over to the person who has organised the Worm Charming event and he's going to explain how it's going to work. He's also from the Natural History Museum. Please give a big round of applause for Paul Eggleton. Thank you, David. Thank you, can all hear me. Thank you very much for coming. This is our first event and we thought we'd do a little experiment, a large-scale experiment using you, the general public. So this is what you do. Now, do you all have assigned numbers? The idea of this experiment is that we are going to test what the best method of getting worms out of the ground without actually digging holes. Now, this is a method that's used by anglers to try and get worms up to put on their hooks for fishing. And we, there are worm charming events, but they've never tested to see which is the best method. So we have used scientific principles to develop this experiment so that we can see which is the best method. We will test it scientifically, we will do a scientific analysis, and then we'll have an answer. 
So there will be two winners here. There'll be the three people who get the most worms, who will each get a prize. And then there'll be a method, which will be the best method. But I can't give the prize to them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get each one of the team leaders now to describe how you will do your particular type of worm charming, starting with David, who's doing the grunting. If you'd like to um, turn this way, I will demonstrate for you how this has unfortunately been called the grunting technique. Uh, grunting or the grunting is optional because it should really be called a vibrational technique. What you have is a pole in the ground and a second pole along which notches have been cut. The idea is to vibrate this pole by rubbing the notched pole along it. So, let me demonstrate. Now, the reason why this technique works Okay, so what this, what this gentleman's doing is he's uh, quite literally rubbing two wickets that have been uh, had little little uh, grooves cut out of them together. Simulates the activity and the movement of moles in the soil. Uh, uh, make the worms think that there are moles in the ground and moles are predators, so the worms try to escape and they come to the surface. So what you have to do if you're grunting is make like a mole. <laughs> Thank you, David. Now can I ask mm. Lucy to show yep. the twanging technique? There we go, twanging. This is a new one on me. So all you need to do twanging is just stick it in the ground as far as you can and wiggle it. And similar to what David said, it's all about the vibration. Okay, that was great. Now can I ask Richard to show us the stomping technique? Goodness, is that me? I think, it, I think it might be me. I think it's, uh, as unfortunate thing, that's completely taken me by surprise. I'm going to walk out into the middle of this uh, arena and start stamping now. Okay, it's best not to copy me if you're stamping, I have to say. I'll just do it. The idea with stamping is to, uh, is to replicate the, the foot movements of a small bird. So, uh, you know, if, you, if, you, <laughs> if you're overzealous, then it might drive the worms deeper into the ground. So what I'll do is I'll pretend to be a, a small bird and I'll, I'll quite literally stand together with my two feet together like this and I'll stamp repeatedly and if you can keep this activity going for half an hour then you'll be doing really well. But this is the idea, so it's, again it's, it's, it's a fairly constant, so the idea is to sort of send constant vibrations through the ground and, uh, and just induce those little red suckers to come to the surface. There you are. Thank you. That's all right, that's my pleasure. So that uh, took me by complete surprise, but there you are. It'll be interesting to see. We'll just see which method wins, really, I think. You may or may not know, play music to worms to try and change their behaviour. So that the fourth category, the alternative category, will be music making. Cheers. There we go. So I'm going to wander out. It seems everyone is now moving into position now. I'm just looking for. A square ten. Try not to interfere. Right at the end here. Much, oh, here we go. Ten. Now I see it's written on the written on the cup. <laughs> I'm surrounded by surrounded by individuals that were just walking innocently through Hyde Park, and they they are now taken position in a, in a two meter by two meter square plot, and they're going to be jumping up and down frantically. So here we go. Things you do, eh? Two and a quid. You all know what you're doing. 
Three, two, one, go! Go! Hey, and now everybody's just quite literally bent over and rubbing away and wiggling their forks and things like that. There's a couple of people have got good, good techniques. I suppose I should, I suppose I should begin really, knowing full well this just isn't going to work, and there's absolutely no way that that the worms are going to come to the top. But still, what a plonker! Well. Person next door to me using the fork method has got three little beauties in her cup. But my patch is still ominously bare. In fact, I can't see any worms coming up. There's only a few of us that are stamping, and uh, most people are completely knackered by now because it's kind of running on the spot, essentially. And uh, I don't think I've seen anybody picking up a worm at all. I've got a ground beetle who's just made a break for it, but mm, it doesn't count, I'm afraid. There's one chap, literally singing, singing to the ground. This young woman next to me is doing extremely well. There's a whole world of worms in a pot now. Not in the fishbourne corner yet, though. My legs are extremely weary now. Eight, oh, seven. Getting towards the end. <coughs> Frankly, five, I'm quite happy about that. Four, three, two, one. Stop. Yeah. What a relief. And not a single worm. Not one little wormy. Never mind. So the winning method is certainly using a fork. Jiggling that fork around. Wow. <laughs> I think I think I think you have one. I think sevens I, I got a grand total of none as well, so uh, yeah, seven's really impressive. There's a couple of different species in there as well, so that'll uh, that'll excite the organizers. Okay, there seems to be a load of counting going on here at the moment. I'm going to put my empty cup back in the tray and go and see what the uh, see what these guys are counting. Oh well. How many did you get, guys? Oh look, you've got a whole pot full of work. How many? How many are in there? Do you think? Um, six. Six. That's a fairly impressive number. Um, what is that did you, like uh, a microphone iPod? It is. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's, that's a, so, yep, it is indeed. It's quite a neat little thing, really. Sound quality is brilliant. Yeah, it is. This is going to go out as a podcast, a little podcast recording. I got so. scared to pick up the really big fat one. Yeah, I see you've got nice muddy fingers, so that's a good sign. So, yeah, there's a big fat one in there. Oh, so what method were you using then? Fork or? Fork. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's definitely a winning formula, I think. Unfortunately, I had to stamp and I uh, didn't get any at all. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind, but I think we you got you, six. Number one got 20. Really? 20? So there must be a hot spot. Well, either their technique was superb or, or there were more worms in that, in that quarter. Stop doing worms. Do you want them, James? With 29 worms. Oh, imagine that. 29 worms. Hardly seems possible. David Anstey with a massive 30 worm. Oh, boy. Looks like a wily old grey fox. He's done it a few times before, I feel. Congratulations. Well done. There you go. Nice little book. In Amy Stewart's book. Congratulations. Well done. A little bit of... Uh, of expertise. Apologies to anybody who didn't do twanging. Um, it's quite clear that twanging is by far the most effective method. There's You're not good at it. 10 worms per square with a maximum of 31. Bruntine yeah, had one square with one worm. Yeah, but, 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 but we did invent fire. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't part of the competition. <laughs> so I think we've been very clear. But if you want to collect worms in your back garden, then hanging is the best way.
Thanks to everybody. Round of applause for everyone. Thank you very much for attending today and we look forward to seeing you at other Earthworm Society of Britain events and please look on our website. The web address is earthwormsock.org.uk earthwormsock.org.uk Thanks very much and thank you for coming. Goodbye! Uh, the other thing Heather's asked, uh, asked us to talk about is, is stuff that's going on in the garden. Uh, very little going on in the garden <laughs> <laughs> this time of year. It's very much a kind of winding down thing. I've, I've tried a, new, uh, a couple of new things this year. What I've, what I've done, actually, I'm um, not entirely sure whether it'll mulch down sufficiently, but by my reckoning, I'm not going to be doing much in the garden until April. So what I've done is, is I've kind of cut out the middleman. And when I've cleaned out the hens, I put the straw and the chicken manure as a mulch on the garden now and yep. covered it with a carpet. So by my reckoning, that should have deteriorated nicely by the time it comes uh, to, to put out my, my seedlings and my, um, and my plant plugs and things like that next spring. Because presumably it's a bit of a clearing up time in the garden so that you're composting leaves and, and all the dead material of, yeah. of the prunings and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And, of course, also... You've um, well, we Jody has um, cut all the top off the wildflower meadow and raked that off. Um, That's so important. That I, I've oddly I've got the whole load of strimming to do yet. That I haven't managed to do uh, on the banks at home because the growth has been such that it's it's still pretty vibrant even mm. now. You know, well the grass until the last week or so the grass was still growing for the cattle into November is very unusual it's yeah. been unseasonably warm and uh, we've had a bit of, enough moisture this side of the country and things have just kept on growing haven't they? changed a little bit now some uh, some old guy said to my wife the other day it won't dry out now until we see the daffodils <laughs> <laughs> well I hope so it will probably, for a day or two right. we could just finish putting that little bit of winter wheat in that we haven't quite finished yet you've been on a mission haven't you Phil down, yeah, to, well, down to Cornwall we had a, a quick trip down to Cornwall Heather was invited to speak to a group of highly well thought of, shall I say, farmers who rejoice in the name of the hewers. Now, do you know what a hewer is in the, in the context of Cornwall? Uh, I, know, uh, I know what a hewer is or in terms of was, getting fishing permission on the other side of uh, Herefordshire. In fact, I know a Mrs. Hewer who <laughs> I ring up and say, hello, Mrs. Hewer, and then he does well, pop it down the river. You actually bother to get permission oh, to well, fish, Rich? That'll be a first. If I, if I can't get away with not getting permission, then <laughs> Well, you're very close, because a hewer was in the days of the uh, pilchard fishing industry off the Cornish coast, which was, I would estimate, to be the 19th century mostly, late 19th century when it reached its peak. The hewer was a fairly skilled individual who stood on the cliff top and he could see the shoals of pilchard oh. as they appeared in the sea and in the river estuary. Wow. And his job was to recognise the shoals, raise the alarm so that the fishermen could go out and catch these fish they, when they attacked a, a, a shoal, they would catch vast quantities of them. Yeah. And then, of course, they'd got to get them back to the fishing port, land them, and they tended to press them into barrels and preserve them, and they extracted oil from them, and it was this huge industry. And it went from zero to hero and back to zero again in a relatively short space of time. Yeah. But that's what a hewer was. And anyway, this group of farmers rejoice in the name of the hewers, and among them were Jeremy and James Hoskins, who run Fenton Gollan, which is where we get our veggie plot from. Right. And so we had the 
uh, entertainment of hearing Heather speak, which is always entertaining for yeah. me because I yeah. can. Yeah, was it good? It. Is it okay? Yeah, yeah. She's coming along well, actually. Yeah. yeah, I was quite impressed. Good. I knew that we were in fairly keen farming country when one of the chaps I was talking to, his business turns over in excess of twelve million pounds. Right. And all he grows is cauliflowers wow. and a few calabrese. Yeah. So what sort of acreage is laid down to cauliflowers? Then? Large. <laughs> but of course the great thing about Cornwall, and this is why vegetable production in Cornwall is is as important as it is, is because it's early, so yeah. that you don't tend to get frosts as late in Cornwall as you do elsewhere, you can get early crop. Yeah. And so that's where they gain. Right. And so that particular chap was growing the, the cauliflowers. Fenton Gollan and, and, and James and Jeremy, uh, one of their parts of their business is to produce the sets so that okay. they plant the seeds in, yeah. in these special trays with a, with a machine yeah. and then they grow them on in polytunnels right. and then they supply growers with sets ah, I see. to plant out in the field to grow on. It, it sounded a fairly stressful business. He was saying that he was quite likely to get a phone call of an evening. Um, can you make sure that I've got half a million cauliflowers delivered to this Cornish field somewhere, wherever, by five o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Wanna... Okay. Um, and so they also produce a vast range of daffodil bulbs. Yeah. So that, that you can have just every design, shape, whatever a daffodil you like. They do cut flowers. And they do all um, okay. plug they do plants. Bunch of, they're quite diverse, then. Absolutely. Their and then, yeah. in addition to that, you've got a two thousand acre arable sheep farm, average field size seven acres. Right. <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> this nice, is though. a that's nightmare nice. yeah, in nice. agriculture. Yeah. Well, it, uh, difficult. Yeah. But uh, good for habitat, though. I think you'll find field lots Absolutely. of hedges. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, lots of variety. Yeah, they were using sheep in conjunction with the arable and in, in, in conjunction with the vegetables. And so it all works in together, mm. and it's in a lovely part of the world, on the Tregothnan estate down on the, on the river Fowl at the Falmouth estuary. Right. Uh, absolutely fantastic part of the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, Falmouth is, is, is and, lovely down um, there. So it was, a, it was really good to go down and see them and see how, how they come up with our veg plot yeah. packs. Wonderful. And, uh, nice, uh, a nice mission, really. The, uh, and what I think was especially nice is to think that all those vegetables are grown in, in England, or at least Britain. Well, that's right. Cornwall is famous for producing these little plants, and they then send them to the other major vegetable-growing area of England, which is Lincolnshire. Right. So that Cornwall provide a lot of the small plants to go over there. So, it, uh, yeah. again, because they can get them earlier, then they can grow them over there themselves. Right. We went down to... Cornwall on holiday. I mean, this is, this is a, a slightly, uh, you know, I've gone off at a tangent. But we went down and I saw this fabulous poster from uh, Falmouth College. It was, a, it was a flyer, you know, to, to uh, get people to, to sign up to go to college, really. And, and it was a last nursing a pike. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's such a brilliant picture. And I, I wrote to the, the university and asked them to send me a poster. And they did. And I've still got it now. It's great. It's a wonderful thing. It's, uh, it just kind of hit a chord with me. You know, two things that are... That, I was going to say two things that are that close to your, my, uh, your my... heart. You know, <laughs> bit of totty and a fish. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you don't change, do you? No, that was outrageous. So obviously, Rich, you've got fed up with Heather's list of things to do because yeah. you thrust it in my direction <laughs> and said, right. And yeah. now I see item four, plug Ricardo's talks. Right, right. Well, this rather sticks in my 
cruel, but anyway, <laughs> having said that, there, there have, I've heard reports suggested to me that you're actually coming along quite well in terms of yeah. giving talks. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you up to? Well, I have a passing comment the other night from a, from a, one talk I did, a lady said, <laughs> she said, we'll definitely remember you. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. So, you know, take, oh. it, take it as it comes. But uh, yeah, talks, well, it, it, it's been a bit of a talk season recently, I think quite a lot, but uh, the, the, I've only got a couple coming up now uh, this year for Wigglies, one of which is down uh, on the 25th of November at uh, Chepstow gardening appreciation society right i mean these are these are clubs obviously but i'm i'm assuming that the club will be quite happy to be contacted and if people want to join these clubs mm. to go and, and enjoy their their various speakers that they have throughout the course of the year then i'm, I'm kind of imagine that they're probably quite happy for people to to enlist enroll even and then i think what we'll do is we'll we, we can talk about the uh, the talks the melee of talks that uh, that i've got in in january and february i mean obviously people are, are pretty much physically engaged with their garden in the summertime. So, you know, wintertime is very much about talk. rustling along to your, your <laughs> local village hall and listening to, to, to uh, some chap talk about various bits and bobs, uh, which uh, I'm one of those chaps. Well, that's good. It's nice you're successful at something, Rich. I'm pleased for you. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, I'll, let that, I'll let that ride. But no. we've done, we haven't had an argue about anything over these past couple of weeks, so I think we'll, I'll just ignore that comment. Right. Well, I've got one last question for you, Rich. It is the time of year to plant a tree. Yep. So, have you got a particular favourite of the trees that, that we supply that you could tell us a bit about and what benefit it is to the garden and so on? In I mean, about I, 10 seconds. I mean, <laughs> in which case, I'd say Bramley. I mean, Wigley's supply a, that classic, quintessential garden apple tree, the Bramley apple. I was I mean, going to say, a Bramley apple is a bit like a hoover to a, to a vacuum cleaner, isn't it? You talk about a Bramley apple, that it's is... It's synonymous cooking. with apple pies, mm. isn't it? You know, and it, it's, uh, it's a fantastic tree because it, the reality is that you can pick all your Bramleys, you know, you can wrap them up in newspaper and keep them separate and store them for, for months, you know, over the winter, keep dipping into them. You can peel them, you can freeze them, you can dehydrate them. Or you can leave them on the ground for all our songbirds to come and feast off. And, and, and I mean, to, to be perfectly honest, on a day, grey day when it's like cold and miserable, and, and there's very other fodder opportunities around for for your uh, average uh, redwing or blackbird or song thrush, then you know, and a partially deteriorating Bramley apple is a, is a real feast for them. And uh, apple trees in general are great habitat particularly in a garden, because they're not too big, are they? Good. Well, it, I mean, it all depends on the rootstock as to the size of the tree, but they're a really nice feature in a garden. And an apple tree, like a pear tree, has a character. And an old apple tree is a wonderful thing to behold, because they've got those wonderful knobbledy I always, and, I always and look at old, and... old trees, and apple trees are great, because, as you say, they're all knobbledy, and they've got bits of sort of damage and this, that and the other on them. And you think, if they could tell you what they've seen over yeah, the years, yeah. what a fantastic story it would be. Yeah. But anyway, the good news is, if you plant a Bramley apple tree, you can go and make apple pie, and that's easy. Even I could make apple <laughs> pie, but don't tell Hev. <laughs> and on that note, I think it's, a, again, a wrap from, uh, from Roman Ricardo and Farmer Phil, and it's bye-bye from me. And bye from me. 